Hello, hello. I am Ashley Caudill, Senior Instructional Designer at the School of Education and Human Development at the University of Virginia, and welcome to Designed for Online. In this podcast, we will discuss hot topics around online teaching and learning. We will be posting new episodes the first and third Tuesday of every month, so be sure to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out. Have you been looking for a way to completely transform your teaching and enhance your students' experiences with just a few simple tweaks? In this episode, we will discuss how mindfulness can address both you and your students' social and emotional needs. Attending to our medical health is critical, especially right now, as we are currently in the second year of a global pandemic that has led to increasing social, political, and economic uncertainty. As we spend our days seeking to find and navigate the new normal, many of us are experiencing high levels of stress, rendering us emotionally and physically exhausted. If we as educators are feeling exhausted and stressed, we likely have a number of students who have experienced or are currently experiencing trauma. So why not make our classroom a place for compassion, connection, and a safe place for our students to seek refuge? In today's episode, we are going to hear from Dr. Tish Jennings, professor of education at UVA and the author of several research articles and books about mindfulness and education. Her most recent book, Teacher Burnout Turnaround, Strategies for Empowered Educators, was published just this year and is available on Amazon and other retailers, so be sure to check it out. Also joining us today will be Pamela Nicholas-Hoff, an educator, PhD candidate, and education instructor at UVA, whose research focuses on mindfulness-based practices within the classroom. Hello, everyone. I am here today with Tish Jennings, professor of education at UVA and the author of several research books and articles about mindfulness in education. And also here with us today is Pam Nicholas-Huff, an educator, PhD candidate and education instructor at UVA, whose research focuses on mindfulness-based practices within the classroom. Thank you so much for being with us here today, Tish and Pam. Can you share a little bit more about yourselves to our listeners? Hi, Ashley. Thanks so much for inviting us. I started my career as a as an preschool teacher, and then I was in teacher education for quite a few years. Um, when I started becoming really concerned about teacher stress and how it was impacting the classroom. And so I went back to school and got my doctorate and studied stress and coping and received a doctorate in human development. Um, so I've been focusing my work on primarily on teacher stress, but also on supporting student well-being in the classroom as well, applying mindfulness-based approaches. Pam? Hi, Ashley. Thank you for inviting us. I'm delighted to be here. I began my career as a middle school teacher, and at one point, I had the opportunity to work with students at an alternative middle school, and I noticed that most of my students were African-American males and that they had been pushed out of the classroom. They were extremely bright, and I was curious about why these very intelligent, very witty students had not succeeded in the traditional classroom. I returned to school at UVA in uh, the School of 
Education and Human Development, uh, ended up in the Department of Curriculum Instruction and Special Education with my wonderful mentor, Tish Jennings, who is helping me to investigate how mindfulness-based practices can impact implicit bias within teachers. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. So I wanted to start off our conversation by understanding mindfulness and how it connects to our mental, social, and emotional well-being. So to begin, what is mindfulness? So in a nutshell, mindfulness is being aware of what is happening in the present moment. And when I say what is happening, I mean what is happening externally, outside, everything that we can comprehend through our senses, but also internally in terms of bodily sensations, thoughts, emotions, and also at the same time, cultivating an attitude of acceptance and curiosity about what we are noticing. And the word mindful can refer to a trait in the sense that some people are just naturally more mindful than other people. Um, but it's also a state that can be cultivated formally and informally by engaging in various practices. The aim of these practices and this approach is to be able to be mindful in the moment at any given time in our ordinary everyday life, not just during practice. Thank you so much, Tish. I've never truly gotten the definition of what mindfulness is, but I love that you talked about that it could be a trait in being mindful in the moment. I really appreciate that. And so I have another question because Tish, I looked a little bit at your book, Mindfulness for Teachers, Simple Skills for Peace and Productivity in the Classroom. And you discuss teaching mindfully. So can you explain what teaching mindfully means? Teaching in the pre-K 12 world is incredibly demanding. There are multiple demands at any given time that are cognitive because you have to attend to a lot of things going on simultaneously. Um, you're paying attention to your students, you're paying attention to their interactions while you are maintaining awareness of your own thinking about the content that you're trying to create opportunities for them to learn and to manage behaviors in the classroom all at the same time. And so if we're not aware of what's going on internally and externally um, with a sense of composure around all that, it's easy for our stress response to get heightened in this process. But there's also this other stressor that can be very, <laughs> very challenging to work with. And it's something called time urgency, because in this context, you also are confined by time and your content and your time don't always match up. We all know that, you know, you often feel like you don't have enough time. And so if a student interrupts in some way, whether no matter what their intention is, it can feel like a threat to your ability to deliver the content because you have this time constraint. And so without awareness, it's easy to become overreactive to normal student behaviors and create conflict with students unintentionally. So as I started learning about the stress response, I started learning that when you feel like, let's say you don't have enough time to finish your lesson and a student's asking a question that feels to you like it's interrupting, like it's off point or something, and you're trying to get on with your, your lesson, 
it's easy to respond to that situation feeling frustration. So we have to be able to calm ourselves down, see what's going on, and really engage with that student and find out what is going on rather than immediately dismiss them or immediately do whatever we tend to do to stay on track. With practice, you can start to recognize the signals in your body, like the tension in your shoulders, or for me, it's often tension in my jaw that is a signal that I'm my stress response is kicking in. And that when that happens, there's a tendency for it to distort my perceptions. So when we're able to cultivate mindful awareness, when we're teaching, then we're much more able to be in tune with the needs of our students and the needs of the moment. That is fascinating. (laughs) And I know that I find myself personally in my professional life that I am always looking at a clock and I'm always making sure that I am staying on target and that way I'm not going over in meetings or anything like that. But it sounds like I should just breathe, take a moment and really be into the conversation that I'm having or really focus in on what I'm trying to accomplish. Ashley, you're you're totally right that time urgency is kind of endemic in our society today. So it's not just teachers that have time (laughs) urgency that we we all do in in a lot of contexts. I think in in particular with teachers now, though, you know, all the pressures of accountability on teachers, you know, their principal could walk in any moment and they won't have been through their lesson plan like they're supposed to be, you know, that adds a layer of anxiety, I think, too. Pam, do you have anything to add? I wanted to say that I also think that teaching mindfully allows us to improve our relationships with our students in that sometimes students share very, very personal experiences with us. And it can be distressful to hear someone that you deeply care about experiencing challenges and struggles. And I know that in my personal life as a mother of three daughters and as as an educator, before I began consistently practicing, I would always try to fix whatever was presented to me. And I I was always preparing a response and maybe a story that I could share from my own personal life that might help them to work through their own struggle. But since practicing consistently, my distress tolerance has increased. And I've been able to just sit, be present and make space for others and mindfully listen. And that's not just applied to uh, my daughters or to students, but also to colleagues and friends. It is improved relationships that I have with all, I believe. Just being able to be there and be present and make space. And giving people the opportunity to talk through their situations sometimes allows them to come up with their own solutions or to resolve whatever they're considering. Pam, that is an amazing segue to my next question I have for you guys. So how does being mindful impact the people around us, such as our students or colleagues? And then Pam, you talked about it's impacted you as a parent and with your children. So we can even talk about that as well. So how does that practice or being mindful really impact those around us? I notice that it helps me see the bigger picture 
it helps me recognize the context of the situation and also other people's perspectives. The other thing that I have found it really helpful for is to recognize something that we call scripts. Biases are scripts, but sometimes another way to think about them are automatic responses to situations that we learn. Usually we learn these when we're children. I'll give you an example. One of my common scripts is that being late is bad. But what this can do is it can distort a lot of my perceptions in situations, interpersonal situations, because for example, if I'm late, I can really feel anxious around that. I can feel like I'm going to be judged. I can anticipate um, that the other people are going to be unhappy with me. Because when I was a kid, if I was late, my parents got very angry with me. So when somebody else is late, it's very easy for me to become judgmental and feel like they are disrespectful. They don't care about me. They don't care about the situation. And I can feel frustrated and angry about that too. But with mindfulness, I can start to see, oh, here's my late is bad script kicking in right now. (laughs) And then I can calm myself down. And most of the time, the situation plays out in a way that is not a problem. Also, when other people are late, there's often some other situation that's come up that is interfering with their ability to be on time. And it's not personal. It's not, they're not being disrespectful, but that's the way my script runs in my head. So when I notice that, it gives me the tools to override those scripts, those automatic tendencies. And this is actually where the work we've been doing on implicit bias comes in. And I'm going to let Pam address this because this is basically uh, the focus of her work. Well, the effect of mindfulness on uh, implicit biases is really, really interesting and fascinating to me. We know that even very brief inductions of both loving kindness meditation and mindfulness meditations can result in reductions in implicit biases, can improve trust of others. And specifically, we know that uh, loving kindness meditation is really effective in reducing implicit bias if there is a target during the practice. For example, one group of researchers used African-American faces as targets of their intervention during a loving-kindness practice and found that, indeed, loving-kindness practice resulted in significant reductions in implicit bias toward the targeted individuals in the pictures and also within which that targeted individual is a member. And so what I find really fascinating about CARE, which is cultivating awareness and resilience in education uh, or in educators, the professional development program that Tish co-created is that it is a program that includes elements of mindfulness meditation and loving kindness meditation, and that it does Uh, had the potential, hopefully, to reduce implicit biases, as well as all of the other impacts that Tish has already summarized. In another study, a 10-minute mindfulness meditation weakened automatic associations, which resulted in significant reductions in both implicit age and race biases. And this is really important in the classroom, because as Tish mentioned, when there's time urgency, the, the stressor of having to meet certain milestones and to prepare for standardized testing and perhaps having someone come in 
unexpectedly to evaluate your teaching and the way that you're managing behaviors in your class, then being able to begin your day with a mindfulness meditation can help to weaken those automatic associations and implicit biases and to help us to treat students with greater respect and compassion. We also know that longer term interventions such as the Care Professional Development Program has the potential to reduce implicit biases because in a six week loving kindness practice intervention, implicit biases work toward homeless individuals and African-Americans were significantly reduced. And we think that that's due to, at least for homeless individuals, a reduction in stress. So I'm really, really curious about how a mindfulness, compassion-based intervention with elements of social justice might impact discipline disparities for marginalized students. Thank you, Pam. That was so interesting. And I I have not heard of some of these meditations that you were referencing. So if I wanted to learn more, I think it was love and kindness meditation. How would I go about doing that? And how would an instructor find out about this? And is it something that they do at the beginning of every class for a couple minutes? Or is it something that it's a series that they would have to do for a long amount of time? Because I know I'm not supposed to pay attention to time. <laughs> so I think that I'm learning. But just out of curiosity, is it something that they could implement just once in their class? Or is it something that they should do every class? How, how would somebody go about doing some I of think, those practices? I think you'd want the teachers to be practicing these on their own. Um, I mean, you can introduce it to students, but really the idea is that the teacher's building their own competency in using this practice. So there's a lot of different kinds of mindful awareness practices. There's basic breath awareness, which involves just focusing attention on your breath as an anchor. Um, There's also something called open awareness, which is a more advanced version of mindfulness practice that involves allowing your mind to just sort of open up to everything that it's noticing with this attitude of curiosity and openness. The loving kindness practice is specifically geared to cultivating feelings of care about others and yourself. It's intended to cultivate this feeling of compassion. And it it comes from the Buddhist tradition, but in our work, we adapt it and we call it often caring practice. Um, But if you Google loving kindness practice, you will find a lot of different practices. And one person who's focused a lot on this is a woman named Sharon Salzberg. And I recommend if you go to her website, you'll find a lot of different versions of this practice. But the practice involves focusing your attention on yourself, focusing your attention on a loved one, then focusing attention on someone who you have no strong feelings about one way or the other, kind of, we call them the neutral person, and then focusing attention on a challenging person. I always encourage people to choose someone that's mildly challenging um, because it can be, it can be hard to do this. And sequentially you offer well-being, happiness, kindness to that person in your mind and in your heart. And then you do one step at a time. So when you get to the challenging person, you can imagine that that's a little bit challenging to, to feel and extend this feeling of care and warmth. But that is actually what we're trying to do is learn how to do that, to learn how to see all of us as interdependent. And we're all human beings. We all deserve kindness and compassion. 
And we know from a lot of research that this practice of extending this warmth outwardly uh, has great benefits for us as well as for our interactions with other people. Yeah, I think that's great. Because I had an instructor that I saw that the beginning of every class, she would take five minutes and it would just be, let's just be silent. Everybody had an intense day or everybody just needs a moment to just take a breath. And that when you see students walk into the class, because everyone's rushing because classes are going and all this stuff. And then the way that you see their faces after they had those five minutes to just breathe and take it all in, and then they were ready to learn was fascinating to see on the outside and it's something that I don't see a lot of instructors doing. So is it something, would that be something that would be like a simple little thing just to start the class, just to be like, you know what, if you're late, you can come in, you can sit down, you still have a couple minutes to just take that breath. Is that something that would be super simple for everybody to try and should try? Yeah, you can try that at every single level. And at the, you know, in the pre-K-12 world where we encourage teachers to do something that we call calming and focusing. Because, you know, we tell our kids all the time, calm down and pay attention, but we never teach them how to do that. <laughs> so one of the ways you can do that is by, you can, you can calm yourself down very easily by taking three slow, long breaths intentionally. So one of the ways we do that with young kids is we encourage them to put their one hand on their chest and one hand on their belly. Um, and we encourage them to feel their body as they're taking those three breaths and notice how they feel after they take the three breaths and they calm down. Um, and then Pam has been teaching a course called uh, Mindfulness in Health and Human Development to our undergraduates here. And uh, we have, we start our class with that too. And Pam, maybe you want to say something about that practice. Yes, frequently on our way to class, we feel that time urgency or we're thinking about other things, ruminating about what's already happened, worried about the future planning, et cetera. And so in order to focus students on the here and the now, and to actually feel what's going on at that moment in their bodies. At the beginning of class, we sit and we do two practices that are relatively quick and easy for anyone to implement. And that is the three breaths practice that Tish described, which we know helps to calm the and put the brakes on the sympathetic nervous system, those diaphragmatic breaths and then to help the parasympathetic nervous system, the rest and digest system to emerge as a primary system. So in addition to the three breaths practice, we also use the intention setting practice. So after we do the three breaths and then refocus our attention on the sensations of the breath, wherever they're being called to us during that time, we then decide upon an intention for that class period, which could be expanded to the rest of the day or the next day or the week or et cetera. And that intention, that setting intention practice is like a navigation system that helps to align our actions and our behaviors with our values. And it's different, a little bit different from goal setting because it is forgiving. Um, we can check in on it and see how we're doing. If our intention does not serve us well, we can change it so it's flexible. And so with that three breaths practice in the beginning of class and that intention setting, it just helps students to 
come into the present moment, the here and the now, be fully present and to be in their body in that moment. So on that note, we are going to take a brief pause for this episode's brain break. And when we come back, we are going to hear about what the core principles are for integrating mindfulness teaching into an online course. Hello, everyone. I hope you're enjoying the conversation. I know I certainly am, but I wanted to take a quick moment to give you this episode's brain break by presenting the trivia question. Now, if you listened to last episode, I asked you the following trivia question. What was the first toy to be advertised on television? The answer, Mr. Potato Head. I don't know about you, but I absolutely loved this toy as a kid, and I may or may not have purchased one for my daughter just so I could play with one again. But anyway, I am going to present you with this episode's trivia question. What is the only zodiac sign that's not represented by a living creature? Curious what the answer is? Be sure to tune into our next episode. And we're back. I hope everyone enjoyed their brain break. So before the break, we talked about being mindful and how it can impact the people around us. But I wanna do a deeper dive and discuss how it can affect and relate to our online students and instructors. So my next question for you guys is that sometimes taking an asynchronous online course can be a lonely and isolating experience for some of our students. So how can mindfulness transform our online classrooms into socially and emotionally connected spaces for our students? And Pam, I know that you teach online, so I'm going to direct this question to you first, if that's okay. Um, A few years ago, I had the opportunity to become certified to teach uh, courses online through the Online Learning Consortium. And one of our main focuses was that students have to be engaged and student to student engagement, student to content engagement, uh, student to teacher engagement, teacher to student engagement and teacher to content engagement is extremely important. And I believe that once the engagement is in place, students do feel connected. And some of the ways that Tish and I in the course Mindfulness for Teachers, which is an asynchronous online course, some of the ways that we provide opportunities to increase engagement is initially creating a video welcoming students and sharing a little bit about the course so that they can see our faces and hear our voices. And also we've recently implemented uh, using Flipgrid students introductions of themselves so that they can see each other, hear each other, get a feel for their course mates. We also have Tish designed this course so that there is a student-to-student engagement through discussion fora. And we we often have students not only read other students' comments, but also to respond to those comments. So there's this back and forth kind of conversational tone to post very often. I find that with both mindfulness and health and human development and mindfulness for teachers, that the very experiential nature of the course lends well to feeling very, very connected and to sharing deeply and authentically. I believe that that authentic sharing and reflection helps students to feel more connected. I would definitely agree with that. I have recommended to a lot of our online instructors when a lot of instructors are like, our discussions aren't very deep. It's just really surface level. And I'm like, well, do you 
Do you dive in deep to the content when you are guiding that discussion? And sometimes they're like, no, I never even thought about like giving my personal experiences and kind of really trying to get down to what my goal is in this discussion. And when instructors really try to open themselves up and relate it to personal experiences, then I find that online students take that as a, it's okay to talk about some of these things and to really open up to my teachers or to my other colleagues in my class. And I find that if the instructor opens up first, then they feel that it's a safe space. I totally agree with you, Ashley. Showing our students that we're human, being willing to be vulnerable and to authentically share is a great way to improve relationships, form relationships, cultivate relationships, and also to increase that sense of connectedness. Another thing that Tish and I do is offer a synchronous session that's optional so that uh, students can connect with one another and um, we can connect all together. You know, Ashley, one of the first assignments that we usually have in our um, online courses, the ones that are associated with the social emotional learning emphasis, which is the, the program that I direct, is I encourage students to, when they introduce themselves in the discussion forum, that they also add their profile picture to Canvas so that everybody can see what they look like. And sometimes they even upload pictures of themselves and their pets and their family, which I find really wonderful. Because yeah. if not only do you see their face, but you also see some context about who they are and what their life is like. I'd like to add one thing and give a shout out to my colleague, Helen Min, who's also a doctoral student and advisee of Tish. Helen implemented a, a really effective way to have that student-teacher engagement. She would have students schedule 10-minute appointments with our mindfulness and health and human development students when we were online. We would meet synchronously, but before the semester started and right at the beginning of the semester, we would meet with students in a 10-minute slot just to discuss their personal lives, what they expected from the course, just to get to know them a little bit better. And I thought that that was just a phenomenal way to get to know our students and for our students to get to know us. That is a great segue into my final question for you guys. So how can the core principles of mindfulness teaching be integrated into an online course? When you're, when you're trying to engage students in like a discussion forum question, like when I'm building out the course and I'm thinking about how am I going to engage my students in a conversation around this, I have to be, be able to open my mind to multiple perspectives. So, so the question that I create has to be really open-ended because it's easy, I think, when you're developing a, an online course to be very formulaic. You know, here's the content I want you to learn. Here's the answer I want, want you to give me to this question. But we're trying to cultivate this, these, uh, this critical thinking and this open-mindedness to how we might improve our educational settings. So we want everybody's minds to be wide open. We wanna encourage out of the box thinking. So our questioning has to be available to that open-mindedness and that curiosity. Yeah, and now that you said that, I think that awareness plays such a huge role in teaching. It's really important to cultivate that sense of 
being open and curious to the responses of students instead of just automatically saying, oh, that's a biased perspective or, oh, you need to rethink that. So being able to listen and to truly hear students through their responses and to understand their perspective, you have to be aware, be non-judgmental so that you can put yourself in their place and you can respond compassionately. There's also something that I've learned through practicing mindfulness, and it seems like a very subtle distinction, but the distinction between judgmentalness and discernment. So on one hand, as an instructor, we have to be discerning because we have to be able to look at our students' responses and support their growth and development through our own discernment and give them feedback that will allow them to expand their understanding. But it's easy to to default to judgmentalness and to immediately critique something based on a a rubric. And, and, And there's also this sort of tendency to be expedient, like, you know, they didn't do what they were supposed to do. Instead of seeing, maybe it is there, but it's just needs some elaboration, or maybe it is there to some degree, but there's a misunderstanding that I need to clarify here. So I think in that sense, as mindful instructors online, we have to we have to work at that. Yes. And the responses that we read are so personal and deeply touching at times that it's important to respond compassionately. It's important for students to know that you've actually read as if you were sitting next to them and they were speaking these words to you instead of you just reading them. Well, I know I'm not supposed to be looking at the clock, but (laughs) I know that this episode, we have gone a little over. So as much as it pains me to go ahead and conclude it, um, but I appreciate you guys so much talking about this. I feel like you guys have opened my eyes and now I want to dive a little deeper into mindfulness. And I know that some of our listeners are going to really benefit um, from just hearing about your mindfulness journeys, as well as some practical ways that they can implement mindfulness into their own daily routines and even their teaching. So thank you both so much. I hope our listeners are going to take away some of these great recommendations that you have talked to us about today. So thank you guys again. Thank you for inviting us, Ashley. This has been really a pleasure. Yes, thank you, Ashley. And that concludes this episode of Designed for Online. I hope you enjoyed listening to Tish and Pam's mindfulness journeys, as well as learn some practical ways you can integrate mindfulness into your own daily routine and teaching. There has never been a greater need for taking care of your own mental health, so in turn, we can support our students' emotional well-being. Remember, sometimes it's okay to not be okay. But through mindfulness practices, we can create healthy spaces for ourselves and for our students. If you have an exciting topic you want to hear on our future Designed for Online episodes, feel free to email me at ac8ga at virginia.edu. Thanks for listening and talk to you soon.